1: This is Mississippi Edition from MPB News. I'm Michael Guidry. On the night of June 12, 1963, NAACP Field Secretary Medgar Evers was returning home from a mass meeting when he was executed in his driveway. Sixty years later, his daughter Rena Evers can still vividly recall the events of that night. In a conversation with our Desiree Frazier, Evers reflects on her life since that fateful night and the legacy her parents paved in the fight for civil rights.
0: That night, actually, my father came home on his own because the previous night on the 11th, there was a mass meeting, and um, he wanted all of us to be there, and and it was going to be late, and normally, you know, we're home, set, and my mom didn't necessarily want us to go out. But he said, no, I need you there. And so we all came to the mass meeting. And it was the night that President Kennedy was speaking about the rights, equal rights for all. And so it was a pivotal night for the nation. And after the mass meeting, uh, we thought my father was coming back with us, but he said no. And we got taken back home. Uh, we knew that we were being followed um, because people had been following us before. So we got safely inside the house and waited up because he told us to wait up for him. And that was a treat because we didn't know when he would be home, but we were going to wait up. And so my eldest brother, Daryl Kenyatta, and I waited up. And my youngest brother, James Van Dyke, was three at the time, and so he laid on the bed in my parents uh, on my parents' bed. We were watching TV in my parents' room, and um, Mom was laying on the bed. And we heard cars, and my father had taught us how to distinguish sounds. And um, so we heard his car come up late, and Daryl and I were still up, and we said, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. Mom started to rise up off of the bed, and we heard the shots. And my mother jumped uh, up, and my brother and I jumped down, because that's what my father taught us to do, is to land on the on the ground. And um, until safety it was noted that safety was there, but it wasn't. And so um, my mother just started running to the front door yelling my father's name. And my brother and I pulled my younger brother, which is how we were trained, to get to the safest place in the house. Safest place in the house was designated as the bathtub. And so that's what we did until my mother just kept screaming and screaming And, um, my brother Daryl and I ran out and saw my dad, um, laying in his, a big pool of his butt, holding t-shirts, Jim Crow must go. And, um, he was, he was still alive because he was blinking at us. Um, and so we got down and said, daddy, daddy, get up. Daddy, please get up. Um. Our neighbor, uh, Mr. Wells, came out and did a firing, a warning shot up in the air, and um, started calling people to to help. You know, you could call the police; you think they'll help, but that was not the case. It was more like a Important, neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And um, so they pulled my mattress. Uh, off of my bed and put dad on it to take him to the hospital.
1: How have you been able to live with that memory and carry on what both your father and mother have worked to do in terms of civil rights activism?
0: Um, It's been um, a challenge. Trauma doesn't just leave you um it, it's a lifetime you have to learn how to work it where it's going to be best for the life moving forward and um one thing that has helped our family is faith and um not being pollyanna type it's just deep rooted Faith, and one thing I said to my mom was that Daddy was so tired.
1: Could you tell he was tired?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. We could tell he was tired throughout the weeks before. He would come home just exhausted, just exhausted. I mean, he would play with us, but not as much. His his face was drawn and... Um, concerned, and, and that, that morning before he kept coming back into the house and hugging us and hugging us, and not until later on did I, that my mother reveal that he kept calling and checking on us and that she revealed that he was told that his life was going to end soon. So um, that heavy burden of, of knowing that your loved one is going to go unnaturally uh, by the hands of hate has impacted all of us. Um, my brother took my, my brother Daryl to my father's death um, real, real heavy, and so he, um, he was very angry, very 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 angry, and he worked his out through art. Um, he's passed now. Um, but he's a wonderful artist. Um. My mother says I work mine out by caring for people. Um, and in a sense, that's true.
1: You must have had some long and very deep conversations with your mom.
0: All the time. Um, and, you know, people say, oh, well, did you ever go to therapy? Well, yeah, we did. Um, and people are scared to say that. Um but it was that when I was very young, um, it helped, but not as much as talking to my mom. And it's not over. I mean, um, if you would, there are times that I can't hold back the tears their times and it's and that scene replays over and over just like it happened right now so it never leaves but you learn to put it hopefully in a corner where you don't dismiss that it never happened you just move on because of the love and the dedication that you have for your
1: father and your mom. When you said that your um, father received a message about his life being in danger, same thing with Martin Luther King, same thing with Malcolm X. And you think about these great men up day and night strategizing, giving speeches, doing everything they can to try and help people gain the right to vote and to have liberty and freedom, and they're dealing, like you said, with this heavy knowledge. They don't know when it's going to happen. They mm-hmm. just know, right, that it's coming.
0: But you, but but they know it's coming. But you see these legends, as as they are called, but these phenomenal people, both male and female, that just keep going because it's right. Because I don't think there's anybody who just wants to do things so somebody will kill them. You're doing things for a purpose. They were destined for a purpose. We were blessed Because those families that you just named, Dr. King's family, Malcolm X's family, we all came together as an extended family because of the pain. Yolanda King and Malcolm X's eldest daughter, Atlas Shabazz, Ambassador Shabazz now, we... We kind of grew up together. Not kind of, we did. We grew up together. But our, our mothers forged such a strong, strong bond of sisterhood. So we all said that we're in a club that no one should ever want to join.
1: And no one can really understand but those that have been through it.
0: Right. Yeah. So the faith... And we all have faith. But the support of all of those families, plus, that's how
1: we got through. That's how we're getting through. And you all stay in touch. And we, just, yes. Yeah. What is it about your father? Now, your mother was a housewife, is that right? That's correct. But, but she was a secretary, too. Okay. And when your dad was murdered, she picked up his mantle. What is, and I mean, she was headed to NAACP. She fought to see that um, Byron De LeBeckwith was uh, prosecuted. She wanted justice for your family and for everyone. Mm-hmm. Were you able to see where that strength came from, from her and the strength that your father had to press through everything that he was going through to make a better world for African Americans.
0: It goes back to family, but it starts with faith. My grandparents and my great-grands. So on my father's side, I didn't meet great-grands. I met my grandparents, right? Got to spend time with them in Decatur and the farm. And so granddaddy granddaddy, uh, Jim and grandma Jesse, they're the ones that, that set their family on the straight and narrow and determining path for purpose for all. And also being um, Granddaddy Jim was a powerful straight shooter, literally, but also figuratively. And he demanded respect. So he told his children, my father, his siblings, especially my Uncle Charles, you don't, you don't bow down anybody. Now you respect what's going on in the culture but you don't bow down from anybody. So he taught them that. Grandma Jesse taught them to understand and believe in what God has provided and that it is with purpose that we all move. And Grandma Jessie told my mother right when my mom got when they got right before they got married that Medgar is my special child because he would spend time alone pondering and thinking about what needs to be done. So at a very young age, my father started his purpose at a very very young age. He was a deep thinker. Very very much so. Very much so.
1: As you move through your life now, is there joy in knowing all of this? There's I'm thank you
0: for saying that because there's so much joy in our life. So much goodness that I've experienced being their daughter, being in this Evers family, that it's not that one outweighs the other. The tragedy has a huge part of my life, is a huge part of my life, and it it doesn't go away. But the joy that my father brought to us on a regular basis the laughter, the music, the jokes. He was a big jokester, you know. <laughs> my mom's a jokester. I, I, I tell people, I said, you might think you know Miss Murley, but she's a hoot, okay? shes It's about loving life, and that's one reason that we're striving hard to give her her roses in the next week.
1: I, I know she's done so many things and gotten so many accolades over the year. What does she say to you about, I was recognized with this, I was given an award for that, oh, you're going to recognize me again? What, what's her expression? What's her <laughs> attitude?
0: That's a good way of asking. What's her expression? Uh, let me tell you, when, when I told her of what we were doing, she goes, Me? I said, yes, ma'am. She goes, why me? I said, well, okay. You want me to count the ways I can count the ways that I love you and that people love you and respect you? Yes. And um, she goes, well, I was just doing what I, I needed to do. That humility, that humbleness. That's. I'm blessed by both parents who showed that you are not to be here self-serving. You're here to be a servant, a servant leader, but a servant. And um, within my spirit, there's no way that I could just say, "Okay, this is just for you, Dad. This is just for you, Mom. It's about all the voices of courage and justice, because nobody did it by themselves.
1: And there's so many unknown names, so many many people that died that will never know what happened or what they went through.
0: And we have to honor the land that they're in, because their lives were done all over this nation but we're honoring Mississippi because that's the land that my father said he loved and he would never leave.
1: As you go through the next week, what do you want to leave people with?
0: The first thing that came to me is respect of all. And that is a large Peace, but it's really what I said before. Understanding, honoring all the ones who have gone before us and that are here now working for all of us to be equal under this Constitution of this United States. Making sure that what my parents died for, fought for, is not done in vain. That is not erased state by state so their history would not be known.
1: Speaking of that, as you know, there is an emphasis on trying to not teach African-American history, the history of people of color, and it's might even be fair to say it's never really been completely taught, but there have been some elements, and there's a push to put that in the back and not deal with it, take the books off the shelves that deal with it, that bring up issues of concern. How do you feel about that?
0: I feel that what uh, basically, you're trying to erase all history because if you don't tell the history of the people who've been here for over 400 years, the true history, you're not telling the right history. And which means that you're not educating those, whether they're generations of my generation, to tell the total story, but especially the future. So, you're not equipping the future generations with knowledge of the truth so they can make educated and valid decisions on how we move forward.
1: And what happens to our children of all colors, races? What happens to them? They lose.
0: We lose. We don't have the impact that we're supposed to have as a collective of understanding each other, of, of being compassionate for pain, for being compassionate for understanding that this group went through this part of hatred. Hatred is still here. And in my opinion, what's going on with erasing or trying to erase that history has started with the hatred of another part of history. And so it pains me to hear people say that they're pained to see their children learn about the the intentional history of pain towards others. That they want to put that aside like it never happened. That means that you want to push us aside again like we never existed. And that's not going to happen. That won't happen at all.
1: And so the Institute, the Megger Murley Evers Institute, that has arranged these events and continues to work for the betterment of people. You're going to be striving to connect, and we're trying to preserve and make
0: sure that we revitalize everyone in history, in truth saying, and in honoring those who have built this nation that have forged forward and giving their lives to purpose for humanity. That's our strive, to make sure we honor and we start bringing up and lifting up the generations from the youngest of five on up so they can know the truth with history and so they can make the path forward a better one for all of us.
1: There seems to be, and it has been reported, that there's a fear that somehow others will be diminished by the history of people of color being provided and shared and discussed. How do you see that?
0: Um, why are we doing a one-upmanship on, on races? I mean, that's that's what... I'm tearing because it's um, just—I think that that is ridiculous, to be honest with you. I I think that we're not trying to erase anybody's history, so don't erase ours. We're, We're trying to make sure that our history is put in the place that it should be alongside of, you know, whether it's in the computer, whether it's in a a book form, whether it's on the television, that means that you are trying to make sure that we don't have a voice. We have voices. And we've given so much to this country. We built this country. And so we still demand the respect of being first-class citizens.
1: Now, I know your dad was in the armed services. So was your uncle, James Charles Evers. He Um, passed in 2020. He was Mm -hmm. the first African-American mayor in the state. He was mayor of Fayette. Fayette,
0: that's correct.
1: So both of your grandparents' sons achieve great things. Yes, yes. Um,
0: my uncle was the eldest. They were oh so tight, so tight. And um, my uncle came to back to Mississippi. Um, he says he was run out. He came back to Mississippi when my father was assassinated, and came back angry, but uh, stayed to do to carry on the work. And he achieved so much, and we're honoring him Had too. Had his own radio station. Had, oh in my Jackson. gosh, he okay? Talk about an entrepreneur! They both were because uh, they started businesses at Alcorn, um, but and they both
1: went to Alcorn and they bor- University. Well,
0: that's where my mother and my father met at Alcorn. All right, so it's um, we have a, a special place in our heart for Alcorn for that. But you know um what what I would love to do is just invite everybody out, please join us. Um, please lend your voice to what we need to do for our world and what we need to do for Mississippi.
1: Well, thank you for what you're doing and the way that you represent your family there are so many people worldwide who admire and honor the sacrifices that your family has made to help all people not just people of color right but all people exactly and we appreciate you coming in and talking to oh, us Rena Evers
0: thank you so much it's 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 been a joy meeting you and being here
1: Well, thank you so much again.